Hello and welcome to the Learn Chinese Insights podcast. Uh, my name is Adam. Uh, this is brought to you by ChineseLearnOnline.com, your progressive online Mandarin course. In each episode, we interview someone who has learned Chinese as a second language, and we find out how they learned, uh, what worked for them, what didn't, and more importantly, what they're doing with this Chinese now. So I'm very happy on this episode to have a friend of mine, Cheryl Robbins. So Cheryl, before we get started, can you give a brief introduction of yourself in Chinese, and then we'll we'll go from there. 好,大家好,我的中文名字是罗雪柔,我是已经住在台湾二十六年了,目前的工作是导游。Okay. Uh, Thank you. Is that enough? <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, so you've been in Taiwan, you said 26 years? Correct. Oh, wow. So let's go back in time and what brought you to Taiwan in the first place? To learn Chinese. Oh, really? <laughs> so where, where were you before that? Uh, I was in the U.S. I'm originally from Los Angeles. Okay, so you were in Los Angeles and what prompted you to learn Chinese back then? Um, well, actually, uh, learning uh, Chinese and about uh, Asian cultures was an interest of my dad's. Mm -hmm. So I think that's uh, sort of what influenced me. Oh, can he speak Chinese? Uh, no, he was learning Japanese okay. at the time, but okay. he was—he had several friends who were Chinese, and he would pick up uh, words here and there. Oh, I see. Now these days, of course. Learning Chinese wherever you are in the world, it's quite possible, quite popular for people to learn Mandarin or want to learn Mandarin. Uh, was it the same back then? Like, was it as popular as it is today? Um, well, actually, when I uh, was in college, um, there was already you know, 26 years ago, there was starting to be sort of a shift from um, learning Russian, which was the popular language choice before then. Um, to people uh, starting to be interested in learning Chinese. So even 26 years ago, you could slowly see that that was uh, going to be the new trend. So this is around 1990 or so, right? Uh, yeah, the late 80s. Okay. So, uh, so, okay, so you wanted to learn Chinese. So was Taiwan the, more, the best destination? Like right now, many people go to China, but back then, was that an option? Um, it wasn't an easy option. It was an option, but really not an easy one. When I was in college, I had a professor. Um, actually, I took Cantonese as an elective in college rather than Mandarin. But he uh, encouraged me quite a lot to learn Mandarin. And we did look at lots of options in mainland China. Um, but mainland China was um, a bit more closed than mm -hmm. it is today. And so it was. Uh, we really couldn't find an option that um, either of us felt was really um, ideal. Um, and so my professor just said, well, why don't you go to Taiwan? Mm -hmm. And at that time, I had never really even heard of Taiwan. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I do think that Taiwan is uh, the best destination for learning Chinese. So in retrospect, it really did all work out well. So even today, someone wanting to learn Chinese, you'd recommend they come to Taiwan? I do for several reasons. Mm -hmm. um, the first is because um, I had learned some characters already when I was studying Cantonese. My teacher here in uh, Taiwan, my first teachers realized that I could read some. Mm -hmm. And so they um, encouraged me to learn 
the phonetic symbols. I think most people probably know them as Bopo, Mofo, Mm -hmm. um, along with the characters. Um, I think this uh, helped me to have a better grasp of the pronunciation than trying to match pronunciation with uh, Romanized words. You Mm. know, the words look, you know, they use the English alphabet. And so I think naturally when you see something written in English, being a native English speaker, Mm -hmm. you try to match that sound. But then that's not actually the Chinese sound, if that makes sense. It also helped in terms of um, increasing my reading, because when you learn the phonetic symbols, they're usually placed next to the character. Mm. And so you're learning both the character um, and the proper pronunciation at the same time. Moreover, because Taiwan uses um, traditional characters, and it's a lot easier to go from traditional characters to learning the simplified characters used in mainland China than it is to go the other way around. So I think it's better to learn traditional first and then go to simplified if you do end up working in China. Got it. So when you came to Taiwan, did you have any contacts here? Did you know anyone here? No, (laughs) not at all. Okay, so you had already enrolled in a school before coming down here? No, um, I hadn't. Um, through my professor, the only contact I did have was uh, for a Bushiban, wow. um, a cram school in Yuanlin. That's where I started out um, oh. in Zhanghua County. Um, but uh, there wasn't really any place to learn Chinese there. Um, and so I ended up uh, coming quite often to Taichung and ended up at uh, Taipei Language Institute. Okay. so. So that was uh, a classroom-type environment? Yes, but I um, enrolled in a a one-on-one program. Okay. So when you first got here, you spent the majority of your time just focused on learning Chinese? Uh, No, I was probably learning Chinese about six hours a week Mm -hmm. and then working working the rest of the time, yeah. Okay, so what were you doing for work? Um, I started out, as most people do, teaching English. Uh So when you came here... Was your plan like to stay out here in Taiwan for an extended period, or was it just meant for a short stint? I was um, originally planning just to stay for about a year or so and then go back to the U.S. and go to graduate school. Mm -hmm. So what prompted you to stay on? Um, I really love Taiwan. Um, It's a great place to live, Mm -hmm. Um, and so I just have stayed till today. Okay. So... uh, (laughs) So how long were you at uh, the Language Institute? Uh, about two years. Okay, so after two years, was your Chinese pretty good? Um, it was good enough to have simple conversations, and it was good enough to get me started on um, one of the things I do uh, for a living now, and that is translation. Because oh, okay. as I mentioned, um, because I was uh, able to continue learning characters, mm-hmm. I can read Chinese. Mm. Um, so I can read Chinese newspapers, and, and I still do a lot of translation from Chinese to English. Oh, okay. So do you consider yourself fluent? Oh, uh, no, I don't think I'll ever be fluent, but I will usually say I'm very functional. I think sure. I can communicate in, in most situations. Right. Now, have you also extended your learning to other languages in Taiwan? Oh, uh, out like, of... Uh, like Taiwanese pure, or other yeah, out of out of pure honesty and laziness, no. <laughs> oh, okay, so just stuck to Mandarin. Yes, correct. All right. Now, work-wise, you've you've branched off into other things uh, beyond translation. Are there other things you've gotten into? Yes. Um, from translation, I, I 
you know, I, a lot of people ask me, how did I, was I able to get out of teaching English and to be able to do other things? Mm -hmm. And the very big key to that is uh, having some Chinese proficiency. Um, from from translation, um, I was able to work at the Science Museum here in Taichung as a, um, a guide, oh. um, a museum guide. Um, and translator, and from there I went into the media. I was a reporter for Taiwan News for about oh. uh, three years, um, and uh, from there I began to explore my my long term interest. Now, about fifteen or sixteen years has been Taiwan's indigenous culture, um, and uh, so from there I slowly uh, uh, continued writing. I've published uh, four books in Taiwan so far. And about three and a half years ago, I was able to uh, pass Taiwan's national licensing test to become a tour guide. Wow! So are these? Uh, so you, uh, that's. I'm glad you brought that up, making the transition from teaching English to these other thing, other type of positions. So starting off with the, you said the the guide at the museum. Yes. So was that a guide for like foreign tourists in English? Yes, correct, correct. I see. So are these? Positions like easy to get. Like if if some foreigner living here wants to get a job like that, can he just walk into the museum and apply? Is that how it works? Um, I walked into the museum and applied, but one of the requirements, other than having Chinese proficiency, was that you have to have a degree in science. Um, and my undergraduate degree is actually in zoology, which is one of the departments in the museum. Hmm. So you kind of also have to have that match. You have to know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so. But there's there's definitely plenty of um, opportunities to volunteer uh -huh. to be a guide at the science museum or at the art museum here in Taichung. So even though you're you're catering to foreign tourists, they still require that you have Chinese proficiency. Uh, yes, because I was also the translator, the Chinese English oh. translator for the museum. Got it. Okay, so they'll have a the regular guide giving some type of presentation and then you're translating? Uh, no, no, I was doing the guiding in English, but uh, we didn't have foreign guests every day. Uh -huh. So so my main job was still um, doing paperwork, okay. translating um, the museum's publications and other materials from Chinese into English. Okay. So in, in general, would you say there's big demand for translation type services? Um, I, yes, I think, um, as, uh, I do believe that in the future, again, Taiwan will start trying to diversify its markets, mm -hmm. um, and I think Western markets are going to become, um, Western and Southeast Asian markets are going to become important to Taiwan, and for those markets, English is important. Um, and so I think there will be uh, more and more demand. For a while, much of this demand was being taken up by um, alternative servicemen, you know, men who were fulfilling their um, uh, military service requirement by working in government agencies, helping out uh, with English editing and translation. But this program is about to be phased out as Taiwan goes to an all-volunteer army. So mm -hmm. again, these government agencies will have to find um, out, outside help to help with translation and editing. Right. Now, when you worked at the museum, were there any other foreigners working there or just you? No, as far as I know, I have been the only full-time foreign employee at the museum to date. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. So but I still work for them on a freelance basis. 
Okay. Uh, so a lot of, if you go into the museum, um, if you look at, uh, uh, for example, the uh, exhibition gallery on indigenous people, that English is my translation. Mm. Um, a lot of the uh, special ex- exhibition panels um, I translate. Mm. Um, a lot of the publications I still translate. Um, so I still help out with the museum um, on a freelance basis. So you said you, you had published some works. So those are in Chinese or English? Both. So I wrote in I wrote in English, but the um, translation into Chinese is not mine. It's done by uh, my my assistant at the time. So it sounds like uh, so. Let's say you're a foreigner here who you've been teaching for a while, and now you want to branch into other things. As you said, okay, you have to have some Chinese proficiency, but then after that, beyond that, to find these other type of positions, it requires some initiative on your part. Correct. Exactly. Because like teaching jobs, you know, they kind of come to you, but then these type of other jobs, you kind of have to create your own path. Yeah, you have to create your own path, and I definitely um, uh, suggest that people build a specialty. I mean, even if you're doing translation, um, it's best to have a specialty. If people have that particular in that uh, niche, have that particular need, then they'll know who to come to. Um, and so just after a while, just like with English teaching, work comes to you. Um, but in the beginning, yes, it requires a lot of legwork, mm-hmm. um, initiative, um, bravery. <laughs> mm. um, so um, to be able to, to, you know, to find uh, things that you like to do. So is it a case of just uh, walking into a company you think you'd like to work at and then asking, are there any opportunities I can help you with? Yes, it's possible to find um, opportunities through cold calling um, if you're lucky. You know, networking is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you know someone who works in that company who has a particular contact, that's even better. Right. Um, so, you know, doing whatever you can, uh, if you're interested in a particular industry, for example, um, you know, uh, let's say, for example, now I'm in tourism, so I've uh, I've joined a couple of associations here in Taiwan, Um that are related to tourism industry, um, trying to build those contacts and uh, that network. Mm-hmm. So long term for you, like other other things you would like to be doing that you haven't gotten to yet? Um, I, I plan to still keep writing. Um, my previous books have all been uh, travel related, uh, more um, travel guides. Uh, like, but my next book, the publisher would very much like me to write more of my own story, uh, more of a personal uh, book. So that's what I'll be working on in the next year. Um, as far as other things that I'd like to do, I would still, uh, I would very much like to see um, the building of specialty tourism here in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of, I guess, the uh, the next thing I've sort of taken up is trying to promote uh, specialty tourism here. Um, What's an example because, of that? For example, what I do in taking small groups into indigenous communities mm-hmm. uh, to go hiking, to have some cultural experiences. But there's lots of other um, themes as well. I know cycling is becoming quite a big thing here. But, you know, things like tea culture, um, and uh, you know, walking tours, cooking tours. Um, I mean, there's there's just so much uh, that can be done in terms of specialty tourism. Taiwan um, has so many stories and so many interesting people and um, t- 
to meet mm-hmm. um, and so many places to see. It's such a place of diversity that um, you know. I I hope that more people can can come to Taiwan and, and really see that. Right. Now, uh, what's it like? Be, so you mentioned, for example, the museum being the only foreign person working there. So in terms of the culture of working in these kind of organizations that are mainly Chinese, how is that different from working in a traditional kind of Western Western company? Like what kind of type of things have you noticed that are the biggest differences? Well, no matter if you're working in a government organization or a private company, um, and mostly I've worked for, for locals, you know, rather than foreign firms, um, which has really been great for my Chinese <laughs> learning because I basically spend more time speaking Chinese than I do English. But, you know, there are things like uh, people uh, don't really feel comfortable saying no mm-hmm. to their uh, superiors if you know, even if they have too much work, right. or you know, the work that's been giving them is uh, somewhat a bit out of line, unreasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so um, you know, it's uh, it's uh, if you if you've come from a, a Western background, you're definitely uh, considered a lot more individualistic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, you kind of have to uh, tone down that a bit. Otherwise, um, uh, it can be seen as being uh, maybe being a bit of a troublemaker. <laughs> so, 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 so if someone gives you directions and you question it, they don't like that. Um, well, not so much. But if someone gives you work. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, when I was working at Taiwan News, after a while, I became the senior um, person in my department, and so it was up to me to distribute work to to my team members. Um, and uh, you know, one of the things that was difficult was I knew I know how much work all my team members had because I was the one who who gave it to them. Um, and so there was there was a time when there was just too much work coming in, mm-hmm. and so finally I had to be the one to stand up and say, I'm sorry, you're going to have to outsource some of this, because right. it's just simply we cannot take that on. Um, and uh, that was, uh, um, you know, I think that kind of rocked a lot of people's wor- worlds there that I would stand up and say, I'm sorry, we are just overwhelmed. Unless we're going to get overtime pay or other compensation, we simply just cannot take it on. And were they receptive to that? Not at first. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, after a while, I think they started to get used to used right. to it. So yeah. And how about in general? Uh, since we're talking about kind of carving your own path, if you have an idea for something differently that they can be doing, are they open to that? Um, I it depends on the person. I mean, I won't say that everyone's closed uh, or that everyone's open. I think you have to kind of assess. Um, the openness right. uh, of any organization or, or supervisor that you're working for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of times, uh, though, people do sort of get in um, a rut. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the word I'm looking for. Um, you know, I notice that a lot in the tourism industry that, uh, you know, many travel agencies, when you go and they say, oh, we've always offered these tours, we've always done this. Um, and sometimes they don't see a need to change, even though there's a need to change. Um, so, you know, you may have to go uh, and shop around, you know, to find an organization or people who um, are of similar mindset um, mm-hmm. in in order to, you know, to get what you want 
done done. A lot of foreigners here in Taiwan, um, you know, as I have, I have my own company here in Taiwan. Um, you know, if you want to do something and you really have a strong vision, um, mm -hmm. then that might be the way to go: is to actually be your own boss, mm. so that you can follow your own vision. Okay. Now, as far as uh, setting up your own company, is that easy to do for a foreigner? It's actually not difficult. I mean, most of the paperwork is in Chinese, so mm -hmm. um, if you can find, um, if just as I did, and even most Taiwanese will do this, is just find a an accountant, okay. an accounting firm who can help you through all that uh, paperwork. Okay. Um, so, and if you if you can. Um, Read some Chinese and understand some Chinese, then you know just about any uh, you know accounting firm will be able to help you because basically all they do is just say you need to show up at a certain time to sign a certain piece of paper, mm. um, and then they will keep filing the paperwork until it's all done. Got it. Uh, okay, and so now let's switch topics a little bit. Uh, so now you have kids who are growing up here in Taiwan. Yes. Okay, so what's uh, what's that like in terms of? Uh, well, let's start with language. So, are they in just the local Chinese schools, or are they in English schools? Um, well, my uh, older son went through a bilingual program um, for junior high school mm -hmm. um, and part of high school at uh, the school attached to Donghai University. Okay. He's currently a junior at Fengjia University. Oh, okay. okay. Mm -hmm. So my younger son is currently in that same bilingual program. He's finishing up his junior high school um, mm -hmm. this year at Donghai. Um, and uh, so, uh, but it's also, you know, very. both my kids have uh, very different um, mindsets okay. uh, and interest levels when it came to English. My um, older son went to an all English speaking kindergarten in Taichung okay. uh, when he was very little, and from that time on, he has always been very interested in English, and he's always considered himself more of an American than a Taiwanese, though mm. they are both Taiwanese citizens as well. Um, but uh, my younger son is quite the opposite. He was very, very resistant um, to learning English, really? um, but his Taiwanese rocks. I have to say that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, um, but you know, finally uh, being pushed into learning English, my younger son is now doing quite well. But it's very interesting to see that my older son, in terms of speaking and listening, is quite good. Um, his reading and writing is not quite um, as good. And for my younger son, it's quite the opposite. His reading and writing is quite good, but he still doesn't really like to speak in English. Oh, okay. So in both cases, Chinese is considered their main language. Uh, yeah, I think for both Chinese would definitely be the stronger language over English. But you know, um, it's hard because you're not in um, uh, an English-speaking environment in Taiwan, so it's hard to get to that native English speaker level unless you're going to you know a um, um, an American school, something like that. Right. And how have you? How's the education system in general? Are you happy with it in terms of the amount of testing or homework they gave and these type of things? Um, there's a um, once you get into junior high school, there's a severe amount of homework, mm -hmm. um, and you spend a lot of time at school, um, and I think that somewhat somewhat impacts on family time. Right. Um, 
So, but I think, you know, my kids, you know, being um, half Taiwanese, I think it's very important for them to be um, a part of the culture. And that's really what kids go through here. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, so they can, um, they've had the same cultural experiences as, as Taiwanese students. Right. Okay. Well, thanks. That was a very fascinating uh, look into all the insights that you've had. So I'll I'll be happy to share any comments that people have on this. Okay. So, so thank you very much for sharing your time with us, Cheryl. And thank you. Okay. Thanks. Bye bye. Bye bye.